0: I am Ira Kirschenbaum. Uh, I am actually on the streets of Yonkers, New York, um, but uh, that's the noise in the background. Um, we have a great uh, article today, and a great group of people to to present it. Um, I will sh- I will uh, share my screen right now and show that article. Um, let me just do that um this is this is joey of course um here it is virtual reality in medicine a systematic review of current applications of vr and potential applications to pediatric orthopedic surgery so i'm going to start off i'm going to ask jessica because you're the lead author here what was the uh impetus for this study you know what for this uh review um what was on your minds and what did you think you were going to find
1: yeah, that's a great question. Um, so Nate and I worked really closely together on this project, and it was actually something we came up with uh, just sitting around one day talking about different ideas. Um, we're both working on our own individual thesis uh, for medical school, and we kind of came up with I, with this idea. I was working in pediatrics. He was working with virtual reality. So we said, wouldn't it be interesting if we could combine these two ideas that we were working on? Um, so as we kind of talked more about it and talked about kind of where pain management and pediatrics was going. Um, and just the new technology that's out there, we figured, okay, we obviously need to learn more about what's going on and how it's being used and how it can be used. Um, because we had both had clinical experience that said, you know, there are these things happening, uh, but we can make them better, uh, with this new technology that's becoming more accessible and more prevalent. Um, so that's kind of where we, where we went with this. Um, in terms of what we thought we would find, we we honestly weren't sure. We kind of went into it with kind of fresh, clear eyes of let's just see what we find and, and go from there. Um, and Nate, if you want to add anything, please do.
0: Nate, you got something there?
2: Uh, yeah, I, my connection is a little unstable. So I, I apologize if anyone can't hear me. Um, but yeah, so actually, it's funny that we we talked a little bit about Precision OS. Um, and I understand the founders on the call. Um, I had been working on a couple of studies that Geisinger's looked at with precision OS. Um, and both of the studies that we were doing were targeted towards uh, an older population. Uh, it was pain control and modulation uh, after total knee replacements. And when Jess and I were trying to find a, a good intersection to work together on a pediatric study, you know, one of the things that we brought up was virtual reality is something that I think kids are going to do so much better with um, than our older population, because you just see them in front of their screens all day long, every day. You know what I mean? I see every, how many patients have you seen in your clinic where the seven year old is teaching their mom how to use their iPhone, you know, and and the, you got a toddler before they can walk that can unlock their iPad. It translates over into all the different types of tech. So we were finding really great efficacy in older populations with pain relief uh, as a VR as a modality for pain relief, and I said, "Boy, you know, maybe we'd find even better if we use it with kids because they're going to be way less apprehensive. They're going to be a lot, a lot more um, eager to slap a headset on their on themselves and try it out." Um, And we looked over at the cast room. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure everyone on this call can can speak to how, how tough it can be for a kid in the cast room with the loud noises and the screaming and the crying. It's just an, a nightmare of an experience for them. And, and every institution has a different way of approaching it. You know, we we have earmuffs in the cast room at my current institution. Some of them will have an iPad that the kids will be used to distract her, but um, never a perfect modality. Um, and that's kind of where the idea came from. We said, well, you know, what, what if you slap a headset on the kid a few minutes before you start taking their cast off and and see if you can really get a great distractor so that the, the noise is away and, you know, they're not seeing a saw and they're not you know seeing their parents. The parents always look concerned. Um, and, and kind of the first step to the first step to everything that we've done with Dr. Seeley and, and to his credit, he's been such a great mentor for us is, If you have a project idea, you better know damn well what you're talking about. So first step is do a literature review. We did a literature review, and we actually found that there was a pretty big gap with respect to this stuff in pediatric orthopedics. The first literature review was scoping. And then over the holidays, I think uh, maybe a year or two years ago, we said, I think there's enough here for a systematic review. We can point out a gap. And, and that's as good of a summary as I think I can give you. I, I hope my connection stayed stable.
0: Oh, it was great. It was really great. I, you know, what I thought was very interesting. We, <clears throat> we go to the we go to meetings, the academy and elsewhere, and we see a number of uh, VR companies, and they're all talking about uh, the idea of using it for surgical simulation, um, surgical training, anatomic training. But what I thought interesting what what you guys were looking at was the patient side of using virtual reality. Uh, Have you looked at it in, you know, Mark, uh, could you make a few comments about that? You know, the, the idea of flipping it from training residents and training fellows and medical students to to patient applications.
3: Absolutely. Uh, you know, and I think Nate kind of laid out, this was kind of the first step of several other projects that are ongoing and kind of, uh, rolling out. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm always just looking at how to distract kids, whether it be in my household, uh, and or clinic, uh, cause I find when the kids are distracted, my life's a lot better. Um, but from a, uh, it, from an application standpoint, the patient experience is, is different. And I think this is where, you know, Danny has been like doing such a phenomenal job from an educational side. There is an, you know, an immersive virtual reality for kids makes it less intimidating. And I think there is no doubt in our careers or over the next 20 years, you know, when you go into a pediatric waiting room, there this will be very Um, you know uh, dome related as far as kind of the walls will be changing you know a lot of places are already doing this where it's interactive and it's not white walls and extremely intimidating that is going to target the patient experience but there is a a benefit on our side of just kind of making the job more seamless and then just kind of decreasing the pain side of things because whenever you have an anxious patient the risk of a procedure you're doing in clinic goes up. Whether it's taking a cast off, pulling a pin, or doing some type of lump and bump removal if you do them in clinic, I mean, all, all that you, re, you require a need a calmer patient to do that with. So what I'm actually very interested in I think you know Danny and others have kind of been targeting it, is just like what's actually going on up at the top. You know, there is like, you know, the, the kind of some neuromodulation research that's going on with like fmri with virtual reality and it's like showing promising you know effects so there's things that are going on that are just more involved than just like distractions so there is something that's to this and i think you know the ucs group and children's uh los angeles are doing some really cool stuff with just looking how this is impacting someone and it's not a simple distraction tool it actually is having some type of you know neurochemical uh, change in the child. And it's just whether it's long term is a whole thing uh, in and of itself. So,
0: so do you save a lot of money on uh, lollipops and candy and ice cream in the clinic, I guess, right? Right, Mark?
3: Yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think in some of the studies that uh, Nathan just kind of reviewed, there's there the patient experiences is better, you know? And I will tell you from when you do this anecdotally, the, the families are just, you know, they see you trying to be proactive. And, you know, the question is, is does a VR headset versus like an iPad, does it change? You know, I think it's a little bit more cutting edge and, you know, as VR kind of evolves, it's really, you know, cool to put them in a different place, you know, and you can't do that with an iPad just because your peripheral vision is constantly scanning the room. So uh, I think there, there, there are definitely things where it gets where I think there's going to be a lot of room for improvement is going to be with the younger, like less than five. Uh, having tried to do, you know, VR on three year olds, uh, it's just the headset is just too bulky. So there has to be something else. And I know people are coming up with different ways. Um, it's just going to be, you know, the, the next step of evolution of VR uh, to target that age group is really what needs to happen.
0: That's great. Uh, any Anyone else have any other comments or questions right now? I don't want to dominate. I have, I have a whole list of questions. I I'd like to throw one in if you don't mind. Yeah, um, please. One. You know, this is, this is really interesting because years ago when I was first starting in medicine, I did some work with a company called Steelcase out of Grand Rapids. They mostly do furniture and stuff. But they took a small hospital and on the hallway ceiling to the ORs, they painted a cartoon story. And the orderlies and nurses were taught to tell the children that story as they wheeled them to the OR. And they found a statistical reduction in the amount of drugs and anesthesia that it took to anesthetize those kids. So I think it even would have a cool application there. I'd never thought about it from a patient standpoint. You
3: know, this... Oh, sorry. Uh, It it might be getting a little off topic, but once again, uh, Nicole Maurer out at uh, the Children's Los Angeles is just looking at the chronic pain. So when you're going and doing like a pediatric, you know, most of my patients get better, but there are certain procedures that you are doing that has the potential to end up in a chronic pain pathway. And they're looking at is there a way of kind of, you know, setting the person up for that status going into the operating room that can kind of change that. And I think it's just a really cool way of, uh, you know, thinking about it versus just hitting them with more drugs. Um, So,
0: you know, I think this this also speaks to a lot of things we don't know about um, what is happening in the brain, whether it's through. Uh, looking at PET scans, looking at serotonin levels, looking at endorphin levels. I mean, something is happening and there could be great applications in the post operative experience as well. I mean, what do you guys think about that? You know, and thinking about post-op rehab um, and pain, you know, diminishing pain, you know, adding, you know, m- maybe better than adding Celebrex, you know, I mean, it's, something something of that nature you know doing an entire post operative module uh on on combination of education fear reduction uh meditation relaxation i mean what are your thoughts about that guys
3: You know, Nate, I don't want to steal your thunder. I, I don't know if it's been published data, but this was one of Nate's projects of uh, in total joint patients of in the post-operative period, slapping a VR headset. And I think, wh- what were you doing? Put him on a beach, Nate? Uh,
2: yes, going? sir. Oh, right. Yeah. We, we were looking at um, TKA patients. Um, yeah. So we gave them the patented lifetime warranty, Dr. Michael Sook total knee replacement. And then, wait, there's more. We gave them a beach experience for their post-operative recovery timeline where they were logging hours on their headset. And, uh, you know, I won't give away the ending, but a lot of what we've seen, and this study is still ongoing, is kind of to the point that uh, Dr. Nichols made. Um, They're using their standard of care post-operative analgesia less. Um, Their patient-reported outcome measures with some of the instruments that we're using are better. Um, and this, again, is this is in a cohort of older people. So now you think about the applications across the age spectrum. And um, I can tell you when we were enrolling people, a lot of them were apprehensive and didn't want to try it. And, and they didn't really buy into it. Um, I'm not a, a neuroscientist. I don't know a lot about fMRI. Um, I have seen this stuff before about how it is a little bit better than a distractor, if not a lot better than a distractor. Um, but I, I can tell you that um anecdotally and n equals one in the way i feel about it um someone who's less apprehensive i think is going to get more utility out of it and i think you're going to find less apprehension and more acceptance the younger you go
4: what are the kids watching when you're taking their cast off or taking their pins out what's actually on the vr Uh, yeah so uh
3: there's a couple different things so you know when you talk about VR, uh, you have role-play games, right? So that's actually better for your teenagers. So uh, I have an Iron Man game that I'll have them go and, like, fly around on. Um, and then the uh, the littler kids, it's more immersion. So you put them in a scenario, uh, and, you know, they're, uh, they're looking – at like, you know, a waterfall or they're looking at a flower bloom in front of their face. It's, so it, that's kind of, you know, cool. Um, and I think it's just more kind of targeting the age specific things. Uh, but there's probably better ways. And, you know, I would love to send a VR headset home to my my patients that are going to go through a surgery and have them go through what the day is like preoperatively. Uh, and, you know, then to try to calm down the, the, um, their nerves. Right now we send them home with a PowerPoint, but like, let's put them in the situation. That's, that is not as intimidating and have them have familiar faces that introduce themselves, uh, the day before the the week before, um, just to go through things. So, you know, I think there's just so
4: many ways you could go with this, uh, that just like kind of cool. But are they actually they're, they're just watching? They're not doing any manipulating any kind of control they're what, what they're seeing, or are they just doing that as well? Uh, so it depends
3: on so you know if I'm taking off a lower extremity cast, you know, the, the whole plane of game, you're you're using your arms, you know, so you're you're playing the game, you're just not walking around. Um, the littler kids are, you know, you can reach out and touch with the controller. So you can you you define your boundary. Um, and I think that's some of the more clunky part of it is you have to set that up every time. Uh, so from a patient flow standpoint, you know, you don't, you're, you're probably going to have to set aside 10 minutes for that patient versus a five minute visit. So it's just, it's a little bit more, or you have a child life expert that is doing it for you. So, uh, but it is interactive. It, they're they're not just sitting there, you know, you, the, the little kids are reaching out and touching the flower and whatnot.
0: You know, I was thinking, and I and I uh, I just want to put uh, Danny Goel on the spot here on this and say, you know, I've been involved in episode of care management companies, and I kind of think that maybe VR can replace so many of these um, episode of care management programs, whether it's uh, Zimmer, My Mobility, or even SwiftPath, which I helped start. You know, think of, you know. Think of connecting real time, maybe even to other patients in the surgical experience. That, uh, Danny, have you guys thought about that in uh, Precision
5: OS? Yeah. Before I answer, I think uh, Kevin Plancher had his hand up.
0: Oh, I did mm-hmm. not see that, Kevin. Yeah.
6: Yeah. No. That good. Good afternoon. Sorry for the delay, um, Ira. I, I'm not as provocative as, as that, Ira. I was curious for Mark is this because PAs and nurse practitioners are doing more interventions and the doctors too busy because i've watched a lot of mentors talk people through things amazingly but i'm not understanding is where a PA would not have that same compassion or empathy in doing the procedure so do you feel mark that's why this is a big role for you or you find even for yourself that it's having. I'm trying to really grasp the lack of, I don't see a 13-year-old having a problem cutting a cast or taking a pin off or a total knee patient if I'm the one explaining the whole procedure.
3: Yeah, no, I think that's, a, you know, really uh, a thoughtful uh uh, question. I will say, Dr. Plancher, a lot of this started after you came and gave grand rounds and you mentioned patient experience and all that stuff. So <laughs> you do have a, a, a kind of role in all of this. Um, but, you know, so I, I think the component of anxiety is like, I mean, I think if you, if you take care of, it's like picking and choosing your battles and picking your patients. Does every teenager need it? Absolutely not. The But, you know, with anxiety uh, fear, all that. It's like, who can you pick who's going to throw the curveball? And right. you know, right now I'm doing my, my uh, patient reported outcomes and a lot of the screening before they enter clinic so that I have a, hopefully have a better understanding of who that anxiety patient is when they walk through the, the door. So approaching them, if I can get those pins out quickly and get them out of the door and get them on their way. Absolutely. But, you know, I, as someone, I don't know what's going on, but I feel like my clinics more and more I'm seeing, you know, chronic pain in kids. And it's like, this was like unheard of, you know, 10 years ago. And it's like, what is going on? And, you know, there's definitely a component of other stuff in the atmosphere. I'll blame COVID. I don't know. But there's, there's something that trying to predict who that person is, yes, I can try to coach them through it, but sometimes just getting them out of that situation is what you got to
6: do. And that's, you. that's where you're doing. Thank you. It's great to see you. Good to see you too. All
0: right. Uh, Danny, I'm going to put you on a spot again about uh, are any modules dealing with episodes of care management uh, in the
6: works?
5: Yeah, so I'll start off by saying, you know, congratulations to Dr. Seeley and the team for the paper they published. There's, it's a really, really big and exciting area using VR uh, for this patient engagement piece. And I, I think it really it's summarized well with the term that was used earlier, which is patient engagement. And the one thing that uh, we've observed is, and I think everybody on the call who is an orthopedic surgeon that sees patients, is, you know, if Dr. Plancher is explaining a need, they'll never tell him that they don't understand. And so we don't know which patient understands and which patient doesn't. And that directly is correlated with their level of anxiety about the procedure. And so, you know, I do just shoulder. So when I explain that I'm stapling their tendon to bone, I don't know if they know what that means. And so that directly impacts their anxiety. And so VR has a role to play in education of a particular procedure from the beginning, as Dr. Seely mentioned, all the way to the end. The things that we know that are different between kids and adults is they both perceive pain very differently. So adults signal pain very differently than pediatric patients do. And the impact of VR is an attempt to trigger those different neural pathways. And they don't understand it very well just yet to say why it actually works. The one thing that we do know about VR is that it's not just distraction. It's active engagement, completely active engagement. So they can't do anything else besides participate in VR. And one of the apps I tried as for interest was this meditation app. And I was truly immersed and able to meditate in, in a meditation app because I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't think, I couldn't text, I couldn't talk to anybody. Uh, the, the one thing that I, we do know that we're following, and we don't know the impact of this, is kids under the age of 10, they pose the VR as somewhat of a risk. Uh, for prolonged use. So we don't know how long it is. And Dr. Seeley, I'm sure you came across this because it can affect their ability to accommodate uh, with their eyes. So that's something we're watching uh, in terms of the maximum amount of time. What's the clinically relevant amount of time that they should engage with VR before there's other issues that we may open ourselves up to as surgeons recommending VR either before or after the surgery, or in the case of pediatrics, um, you know taking a cast off I think small intermittent doses are okay uh, the last point Ari, directly to answer your question we are looking at this total care sort of approach from beginning to end with virtual reality and how best to sort of institute that
0: it's great it's, it's great uh, I don't know if there's any other hands up uh, let me just look I think just
3: to make one comment, and I agree with the the headset uh, does have some, you know, definitely some gray area with that. And I think that's where like the dome screens and just getting stuff off of this is going to be probably, you know, it's more immersive than having an iPad, but it's not kind of, I don't know, uh, secluding the periphery. Like you're, you're still having that peripheral vision. I think that's where the interactive you know atmosphere of you know walking into a room and having everything kind of interactive is probably a way of having that immersive virtual reality component to things so you
0: know i i think you know and mark uh jessica and uh uh nate maybe you can comment on this too is that you know i i i have lectured on the idea that i i i actually have problems with patient reported outcomes i think i think patients are not very engaged um they get a text message at a odd time of the day to fill out some questions that were written by three ivy league graduates and uh doesn't really work well in the south bronx um but there may be there may be there's a a term that we use it at a company that I'm part of, Gate Science. Patient source outcomes, and where we're really getting natural patient responses to whether they're satisfied with something. And and I think you can possibly do that in kids. I was wondering, Jessica or Nate or Mark, whether you thought you can you can work on an outcomes module. As well, not not just to alleviate alleviate their fear, but you know, really get information through indirect ways in VR to replace patient reported outcomes, which I think are what we have now. Uh, don't get me wrong; they are what we have, but they're very. I think they're very limited, and uh, and they they only work well for the insurance companies.
3: So. I, I, I don't have an answer for this, but I think kind of what Danny was talking about is like, is there a way of rolling this up into a, a, a fully inclusive thing? You know, just like what uh, Precision OS has been trying to do with kind of retention of the learning environment of a procedure, right? That there is a component of retention of what we start out with. Do they understand the process and are they getting this? Uh, so I think there is probably a way of doing that you know and uh, it, it, I don't know if you're ever going to fill a questionnaire off on it but I probably there's probably ways of doing some form of module uh, consistent modules just like you do your physical therapy you're doing this to just provide that real-time feedback on a platform so
0: what are the interesting things you found? during this this whole analysis of of where where this is going okay is there any any anything that we have missed so far um you know what's what's the what's the real future of this and explain more about the what you call the dome you know um
3: effect yeah no i think the um I think it's going to, it's going to continue. I think as the, uh, platforms or the technology advances, like I don't think we're always going to be wearing that headset and Danny could probably elaborate more on that. Um, I think that's going to continue to evolve. Uh, and I think it's going to be something you can do quickly. Uh, just like you can throw an iPad here. It's a, there's a little bit more setup. Um, right. But, you know, the dome screen is just like, it's essentially, you've all walked into an IMAX movie theater where everything around you is, you know, uh, an immersive virtual reality. Um, And you're, uh, so I think that's a way to tackle little kids. Um, And I think that's making a traditional clinic uh, room a little bit more tolerable. It's just very expensive. Um, but maybe it's a procedure room in the, in the future. Who knows? Um, but I think just kind of what we're talking about with continuing doing something like this throughout a patient's stay uh, or a patient's uh, progress, I think that's going to be stuff that we can do. And I think it, it will be a way to check you know, uh, in on a patient, um, whether it's through the metaverse or whatever. But I, I think there are... Uh, opportunities that we have not fully exhausted. And I I think I'm excited to see where this goes over the next 10, five, 10 years. You know, I think it's going to continue to evolve.
0: I think there may be a role for some of the residents to get up off their chairs and on the, from the computer and actually get into the VR headset and talk to the, uh, to the patients once in a while. That's my, that's my little dig on the, on the, the residents in front of the computer all day. Um, but I think this is, this has really been, been such an exciting, exciting area. Um, when we invested in the precision OS, uh, we didn't know what to expect and it really kind of blew us away. And we're just, we're just scratching, scratching the surface of this. Um, you know, I, I'd like, uh, to hear a little bit more from Jessica and Nate about, you know, some other applications that that are in the works if you have any i
2: i found the the most interesting piece of our entire review that i wrote and i hope you'll forgive me for for diverging from orthopedics just for a second okay. um was the neuropsychology um there's a a really interesting paper, two interesting papers actually, that they used virtual reality to help kids. um, One, um, kids with eating disorders to Mm -hmm. kind of coach them through a better body image. And the other one, so that, yeah, that one was a therapeutic um, kind of use case for uh, the headset. And the other one was diagnostic. Um, Neuropsychologists used it as an evaluative tool um, for kids with attention deficit disorders. Um, cause it's, it's a really fine tuned way of watching, you know, how their eyes work and, you know, the eyes being the window to the brain and all that type of stuff. Those were the two outside orthopedics I found to be the absolute most interesting, um, uh, anecdotal use case that I find interesting, um, reductions in the emergency room, Um, you know, I, I just saw one the other day and I think it's par for the course, uh, depending on the institution you're at. Um, you know, if you, if you've got a tricky reduction, if the kid's nervous, um, you know, it's pretty commonplace, at least where I've been for a couple of squirts of fentanyl up their nose. I think, uh, that's a, that's a great avenue in the future for a headset as an alternative. Um, and then I think that the last point I wanted to make was to circle back to your outcome measures. And I, I yeah. agree wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly that the patient-reported outcome measures, the instruments we have today, um, I, I, I have a research role this year. I'm administering them myself. I mean, these kids' eyes glaze over. They're reading the questions we write, and it's, it's, there's just a disconnect. And you're right, they're not invested from the start because you're approaching them at a weird time. And then they're reading something that really might not be, you know, targeted specific to them. It's really more targeted towards our colleagues when we report them in our papers. Um, the trouble is, though, I think you have to speak the language first of, of medicine and what medicine has been. Um experiences we've had in the past is if, if we don't have the patient reported outcome measures that people are looking for, they tend not to pay too much attention to us. Um, So kind of the middle ground that we've looked at for future VR studies here is some of the simpler, um, like the visual analog scale, for example, everybody knows the face, everyone knows the faces. And that's a pretty good way to capture kids' pain. There's one for pain, there's one for anxiety, there's one for fear. Um, There's no reason why we can't, um, you know, aggregate those into a composite satisfaction score for kids. And it's not perfect. It wouldn't be in in the headset like like you're suggesting, which I think is a great idea. But it, it, it's much better than a 52-question survey with a paragraph um, per question.
0: Right. I think so. Mark, what are your thoughts about that, what nature said?
3: I love it. I struggle every day getting my patient report outcomes. So it, it's got to be simple. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, so I think it's it's kind of finding that the this, this sweet spot. Uh, but I love just, you know, faces. <laughs> or thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs down, all that. that there you go. That's that's all, all we'll take.
0: You know, I think uh, I'm so excited to publish this article because of its push on the patient side, you know, and rather on the procedural side. And I really commend all of you for getting that uh, angle. And I I think this article, in a lot of ways, opens the door tremendously to research and opportunity in looking at patient-based medical applications in BVR. Um, um, it, it, it is, you know, in some sense, it's, it's easy to... Um, I'm not easy. I don't mean to say that. Uh, it, it, it's, it's an easy jump to say let's teach someone anatomy, but it's a harder jump to say let's decrease fear of a child who's going to go through a hernia operation or through uh, or through uh, spine up op- a scoliosis operation. You know, we you we talked about pins and and casts. You know, imagine Scully operations and. Really delving, delving into that, and uh, get getting, getting that interaction with the kids on such a high level. So I really commend you guys on, on opening the door, in in a sense to, to this. You know, obviously there are not a number of articles on it, but they were kind of all over the place. And I I think your group put this put this together beautifully, and you know I want to thank you for
4: publishing it in Joey. I think if we look 10 years forward from now, this is just touching the surface. And the reason on a Wednesday night you have such good audience participation is because we're going to look at this now in the same way that anesthesia looks at ether for anesthesia many years ago. Uh, You know, it it is, it's going to be much more specific. It's going to be much more exact. It's going to be less addictive and it's going to be the, norm not the exception and it's going to just expand so this is just the very very genesis of this all but it's going to continue to expand and that's I think that's why it's so exciting
0: I agree so uh there's any other questions um um we'll take them now otherwise uh we'll we'll call it a night